You are listening to the You Are Techie podcast, episode number 146. Welcome to the You Are Techie podcast, where it's all about growing in your techiness so you can find the tech job of your dreams. And now your host, technology learning coach, Ellen Toomey. Hey, moms. Are you trying to break into tech? Are you wondering what skills you really need to get hired and how those skills can be worth $45 an hour instead of the $25 an hour you thought when you first started thinking about going back to work? If so, then the Your Techie membership is for you. Our combination of courses, coaching, and community come with the mentor support you need to keep moving forward in your tech career. It's like no other membership program available. We have the exact skills employers are looking for. You'll learn how to maximize your income with portfolio-ready skills that hiring managers are seeking, not to mention the steps you can skip so you don't find yourself down that endless tech learning rabbit hole. Join me as I walk you step-by-step through the getting hired process in tech. Sign up at youartechie.com. That's Y-O-U-A-R-E-T-E-C-H-Y.com. I can't wait to see you in our membership. Hello and welcome to the You Are Techie podcast. We're doing something fun today. I have my alum, Your Techie mentor, friend, and all around UX product ninja, Aaron Zebert, with me here today. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Ellen. How are you? Good. I'm good. I'm excited to be here. We were talking about this tech of the social good during one of our meetings. We got all hot and we were like, this is a podcast. Do this as a podcast. So that's what we're doing. Yes, I'm so excited to talk about this. All right, we're going to, so this is the thing, people. We actually think, Aaron and I are crazy enough to believe that if you are in tech, it doesn't really matter. She's turning her volume down on her headphones. If you are in tech, that you are likely to be doing a social good. Unless you are doing something immoral, you're doing a social good. And you're like, Ellen, no, I want to save the world. I want to be helpful. And I'm saying this to you because some of our students come. They're like, well, I want to work for a healthcare organization because it's going to help people. I want to work for education because it's going to help people. And there's nothing wrong with that. But really just being in tech is a social good. We're going to show you how. Okay, here's our first question, Erin. Why should someone work for a tech company that does not have a specific mission that is associated with a social good? You know, it's a really interesting concept. And I just want to give a little backstory because I started my career path saying I need to work in Christian ministry, the ultimate social Mm -hmm. good, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, if I'm going to do good in this world, I have to do the most That's what I thought at the time. And what I learned through the process of many experiences and challenges is that just because you're in that industry doesn't mean that you're doing social good, first of all. And just because you're not in that industry doesn't mean you can't do social good. Right. There are good people and bad people in every industry. And so you can take your mission with you wherever you go. I think that is the biggest point that I have learned over the course of my career because I started in Christian ministry, then I progressed to nonprofit work. I worked for the American Cancer Society. And then I went into business for through that 
time. I worked in outside sales. I've done a lot of different things. And what the, so the conclusion that I have come to is that you take your character with you and you can change industries, but you're still going to hang out with yourself. And it's just such an interesting concept because we have so many your techie students who say, oh, I would never want to work for a big business because I need to make an impact. Right. (laughs) And what I would say is I think that even if a company doesn't, you know, blast it from the rooftops, that we are doing good for the world, there is so much room still in tech to make an impact. Mm Because tech is so frustrating for so many people that no matter what you're working on, you have the potential to impact someone's life in a positive way for years to come. And there is so much innovation that hasn't yet happened. And there is so many problems that haven't been solved, right? Yes. That so much of tech is problem solving. And if you can work for a company that is solving problems, you are doing a social good. I love it. I love it. And I think that one of the things that I drew me to technology and same, same background, like Erin, you were also a preschool teacher. I was a Catholic school teacher. Like we are mission. Right. We are, our heart is mission driven. And, but one of the things that I realized and one of the reasons that I was drawn to technology is efficiency. I mean, I really don't like frustrating tasks. And I don't know anyone who does. And so what if you were just, what if you were just making someone's life easier? What if it was a fintech? I like fintech because a lot of our students are like, well, I can't do finance. Absolutely, you can because finance shouldn't be hard. We need more people like you doing it. What if you were in a fintech software and you were just making that experience better for an end user? And I know that when you say end user, it's hard, but that's why we have personas because it might be your mom, it might be your cousin, it might be your best friend. And when I got started in this work and I was trying to tell people, really my, one of the big inspirations, I was, you know, I live in Atlanta now, but I was living in Cary, North Carolina. And basically all the moms I met were just brilliant. They were just really intelligent people. They were super, you know, they, many of them stayed at home just because they made that choice and that's what they wanted to do. Or some of them worked, but they were all just really intelligent. And yet I would talk to people, you know, near and far who would say, well, I can't even work the remote. I I can't be techie. And this is really at the core is that if we don't have more women coming and designing fintech software, designing remotes and designing cars and designing software, then it will never feel that way. Then our daughters will be raised to feel like it's not for me because someone else thought it through. And we think that, you know, if we don't know it all, if we don't come in knowing all the information, but I don't know, you know, I say tech is iterative about a hundred times a day. <laughs> it is iterative. When we do that work, what we are doing is asking questions and just believing that we're smart enough to figure out things that we don't know the solution to. I know you've talked about this too. When you start a project, you're not going to know what it looks like at the end. Yeah. And getting over that hump of understanding that's the space you're in. And if you can live there, you can be in tech. Yeah. And let me talk about this for a second because showing other women that women belong in tech is its own social good. And that might not be the mission that you care about most, but let me tell you, in high school, I won the computer science award for having the best program coded out of everyone who did computer science in my high school. That was in the 90s, so I'm telling you my age. But 
at that time, I didn't know that women belonged in tech and I did not pursue tech. And it has taken me 20 years to find my dream job. Okay. So if there had been women that I knew and that I saw, if there was a woman teaching me computer science and telling me, you can go to college for this. Right. I would have pursued that at that time, but I didn't see that in my own life. And so I didn't pursue it because only a certain type of person pursued tech. And that was not someone who was like me. And so being a woman pursuing tech is its own social good to not only your daughters, your nieces, your future granddaughters, but the women around you, the people you interact with, it's huge. And eventually you will be in leadership probably because if you're pursuing after you are techie, you're probably a pretty legit person. You're probably pretty committed. You're probably pretty cool. And so our students are going to end up in leadership eventually. And you are the woman who people look at and say, wow, I didn't realize women belong there. Yeah, I love that. And then actually go back to high school too. Also the 90s. I'm also super young. And I remember one of my upperclassmen friends take computer programming. And I thought of her as smarter than me. I like categorize people. I'm like, okay, she's smarter than me. She has better grades. <laughs> and she's like, oh, it's really hard. And so I didn't take it. Not only that, they discouraged me. And I don't think you need to be good at math to do tech, just real quick. And you for sure don't. No, you just don't need Definitely to be. Not. But I also did not take calculus in high school, which is mind blowing. And so when I got to college, life changed. And then I actually took computer science class. I aced all of my calculus classes until differential equation in college. And I say that it's not about bragging, but it's about understanding that just because you have this one perception in this one environment of what's going on, like you won the award and you still didn't quite get how, you know, that you were quote unquote techie and good at it. And I want to tell one more thing. So I had this amazing event that I went to on Friday. It was put on by, I'm going to even tell it, say the Atlanta Ventures. It was just an incredible event. I met this woman and she said she IPO'd two companies. Oh, and she wow. she told us that in the most humble and just, you know, really simple way. Because she's worked at a company and she's like, well, you know, I've taken two companies public. And I just stopped her and I said, and the woman I was talking to stopped her too. We're like, I'm like, I've never met a woman who's taken two companies public. I'm really grateful that you said that to me. I'm inspired by that. I just want to encourage you to keep telling people that. All she did was tell me what she's done in her life. And I was inspired by that. That is what is possible when you do this and you let people hear your story. Yes. And can I tell you, I love that. And every time I meet a woman who is doing powerful things in tech, I make sure and tell her how much I appreciate that she's doing it. Clients, you know, people that work for the agency that I freelance with, I tell them, look, I respect the crap out of you for being in the position you're at because it's not easy. And they always appreciate it because I can tell you how many things I sit in where I am the only woman. I don't mind. No, I enjoy it. I love it. But that's just the reality that we're still in where they say 20 to 25% of employees in tech are women. I don't even see that percentage necessarily. Right. I I don't really feel like they round that up. I agree. Everyone who works for a tech company in that number. And I don't know if people who actually have their hands in tech, if that's really true. Like, I don't know. That's such a good question. We should look into that. Okay, your turn for a question. I think we've basically covered both. (laughs) Do you want to read it? Okay, yes. So here's my question. How can someone who cares about working for social good embody that work every day, regardless Mm -hmm. of client, employer, company, or industry? Yeah, I absolutely love this question. I mean, I like it. It's just so. So I'm going to give this answer first because it's such a small thing. But literally, I had this experience last week with someone. And so 
I, you guys maybe know I love the company Basecamp. I talk about them in a little bit. Okay, Basecamp, when you download their software, their alerts are defaulted to off. I love that. And so in a world where it's like everything's an alert and I just have a new computer, it's like everything's an alert. So that's how you can do a social good. You can stop annoying everybody and think thoughtfully about how you want someone to experience your software. Boom. So simple. Such an important thing to be thought through. It's so important. Just thinking about others. Walk a mile in someone else's shoes. I mean, honestly, in UX, it's my favorite thing. One of my clients is primarily in healthcare. And something that I love that they talk about a lot is, look, healthcare technology, it's painful for people who use healthcare home users, you know, portals, health care portals. How hard is it to schedule an appointment with your doctor still? Um, I need you to stop talking about this topic. It upsets me so much. (laughs) We talk about about, like, you know, still in surgery tech is still really hard to use. The interfaces that surgeons are using is still really hard to use in this day and age. Tech for seniors is a huge thing that we work on. And seniors are, you know, older adults are completely still to this day dismissed as humans. And it just absolutely infuriates me because these are people just like me who have lived lives that are valuable and deserve to be honored and treated with respect. And so it's like you can go into any situation and make something better. For sure. And I think if you're someone who cares about doing social good, you're a make it better kind of person. Yes. If you're a make it better kind of person, you belong in tech. Please come to tech and please make things better because they're still not great. I think that is so astute. And so one of the things that comes up is like when we have people who are new to tech and listen, I get this. You're new. You want to figure out, hey, how does this whole thing work? Right. But one of the things that I don't like is, okay, well, what's the industry standard for da 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 And I'm like, well, guess what? I don't see industry standards. Like, then we change. So I think it should be done. <laughs> exactly. So let's not always pay attention to that. Let's think about if there's a better way. How can we make this easier? How can we make this more delightful? How can we make this better for someone? How can we make this product for a senior adult actually feel like it was made for them and we're not condescending to them? Right. That is not okay that this is the way it is. And it burns me. It really does. And Aaron, I mean, the, in this day and age, like those are the baby boomers. There's, that's the largest like segment of the population. And, and I'm like, I mean, how do you, this is my parents. Like, don't talk to them like that. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I mean, my, my folks are visiting this week. They love their phones. They're on their phones. Oh, my parents are talking about stock. Yeah. I mean, I understand that. What's that? Yeah. They do banking. They do social media. They watch YouTube. I know. They're very techy. They are. They're very techy. There's another thing about this that I wanted to address as well, is that changing from this fixed mindset that my employer has to provide me with the opportunity to do a social good. I love the book Mindset from Carol Dweck. And she (laughs) talks about which I learned. I might know that one. I, I know that one. I learned about this book from you, by the way, in the U.S. You did? Oh, I did. When I used okay. to be a student. So thank okay. you very much. But I read it. I've read it three times and yeah. it's been huge for me. And it is a fixed mindset issue. If you think that the only way to do a social good 
is that it comes from your employer. Mm -hmm. It's just not true. If you want to have a growth mindset where the sky is essentially the limit to doing social good, then you take ownership of that and you say, I create good everywhere I go. And so I have a lot of ways I can grow in this. But one thing that I do enjoy is making other people's work environments more comfortable and lining up their work so that they can be more productive. And so I also do project management a lot. I end up doing a lot of project management for clients because that's just my personal passion and skill set. And so while I don't really want to work in HR, what I do like to do is organize projects related to the UX work that I'm doing so that other people connected to those projects can do their work more efficiently. They can find the documents they need. They can find the links they need. They know who to talk to. I deal with clients so that they don't have to do that. And it's something that just happens to be my skill set. Not everybody needs to have that skill set. But when you come to tech, you bring your own unique soft skills. You bring your own unique passions and interests. And you can use, offer those as a benefit to others within the work that you're doing. That's one thing that I think, especially moms, have in droves. Like they can bring all of their mom skills to work. And no, you're not going to be other people's moms at work, but sometimes I am, but sometimes I am. But I don't mind. I like to help. I'm a helper. And so I would hope that my coworkers would say, that they benefit from that. And it's something that doesn't cause me any pain because I enjoy doing it. And it's just, what are your special skills that you can bring to yeah. that will also benefit others as a social group? Okay, I love that. And I think all of those things are true. And in terms of, you know, just that I love the empathy component. I think we need to talk more about moms, but I want to talk about another alum who does this, who has always been passionate. So this is Katie. She's Katie B. She's passionate about accessibility. Okay, yes, UX designers, I would say focus on this. But even if you're a developer implementing, this is part of it, accessibility. Every single tech project needs to consider those who have challenges that, I mean, I don't even want to say like the general population doesn't because it's such a big part of it. And growing up, so my father and my, it's very strange, but like two of my nephews and my son, and it's like weird the way the gene pool, but my father is colorblind and it's dramatic. My, my son is not dramatic, but to the point where we had to pick out his ties. He's like, is this black, brown, gray, black? And so it was just part of my, I mean, no big deal. Like it's not like, I, I'm not, there are certainly other factors in terms of accessibility that could be more extreme, but even just this aspect of it, when you put a screen through a, a colorblind, like an yeah. answer or test, it's like, well, that's what people think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and every project. Just walking a mile in someone else's shoes and saying, let me just imagine what this might be like for someone else is so huge and still so important and quite lacking. Like, I think that the industry is getting closer to that because we do have, you know, governmental standards now, but it's still not 100%. And there's a lot of room for help. And I've always loved Katie's passion for that, you know? Yeah, me too. Yeah, absolutely. It's so great. And I wanted to say, you don't have to be a UXer to have empathy. I mean, imagine a developer who writes really clean code. How delightful oh is that for the Oh my gosh. For the oh, developer Aaron. that had been annotated, that notes had been made, that someone can come in and understand where they are and what they need to do. It's like, don't write bad code. You're doing a huge social good by writing good code, honestly. Right. Right. 
I don't think that is so brilliant and so important and something that I remember back in college. So like, you know, over 20 years ago, I remember my professor who was just such a cool guy. He worked, I think it was for IBM. And so he just taught this, like taught us like one class a semester and he was just super cool. And we had this debate. He like, there was someone in the class, you know, there's always like that person who thinks they're smarter than the professor. <laughs> and, and I don't, I'm so grateful to Paul. We called him Paul. So I thought it was so cool because I was like, you know, 18, 19, call it <laughs> Paul. But he inspired me. And that's an important piece too, is that there are many men on this helping women get into tech. And I don't want that to go unshadowed yeah. that, you know, 90% of my professors were men and they could not have supported me more. That was at the University of Michigan Dearborn. It was a great, it was a great opportunity for me. Paul was at as a small Catholic college before then. But he said, you know, the guy in the class was like, here's the slick way to do it. And he and this debate with Paul. Paul's like, listen, someone's got to come in after you and maintain that code. Yeah. So you can make it as slick as you want, but if it, it, it's better yeah. to make it understandable. Yes. Just That's think great. about the next person that has to work after you. And you know, I just think there's so many ways that you can own doing good around you where you don't have to rely on your employer to be the one that gives you social good tasks. hundred percent. hundred percent. Erin, I think we need to talk a little bit more about moms and how their practiced empathy like, this is why I got on this bandwagon. I'm like, moms are for tech. You know, and I'm actually giving a speech today for tech moms out in Utah that I'm going to release it on the podcast. It's probably, yeah, no, I think it's coming in sequence. We already did it. I don't know. Where we sequence in podcast, Erin, you'll have to tell me. <laughs> but it, it's tech needs moms. Yeah. Subtitle, moms need tech. And so I just, if we could wrap up just talking a little bit about not just being an example, but how, like, how these skills are so relevant to each other, the mom skills and the tech skills. I don't know. I'm going to toss it over to you. And like, would you have some thoughts on that? And then I'll. Yes, I do. I have an example. So I'm a freelancer and I have several clients that I love. And one of my clients is doing a really exciting fitness venture. And mm. my role in that is taking all the ideas and funneling them into visual, actionable tasks, right? So it's an amazing opportunity to get to work in this space with someone who had an IPO and exited. And so it's really cool. But actually being a mom trained me for this job because it's like taking all of the information and distilling it into what needs to be done now, what needs to be done later, what needs to be done tomorrow. When you're a mom, like you manage the family mm -hmm. calendar, you carry, mm -hmm. you probably carry the mental load. I'm not saying that dads don't carry the mental load, but typically moms carry the mental load of the family. Like, does everyone have the clothes they need? Does everyone have the meals they need? You right. Know, it's like, does everyone they need to be successful in their day? That is mm -hmm. such beautiful training ground for tech. Yeah. That, right. that moms specifically go to boot camp for. Right. So I love it. I can't think of a better way to like, you know, learn those skills than run a family. Yeah. I think that's so good. I'm just going to add one thing on that. So the, it, in this, like in this light, I'm going to just take a snippet of my life, right? So I have a 15 year old and a one and a half year old, and I have many children in between. I have three in between who are very special too, not to say the bookends, but the bookends are, it's like with Reagan, 
we're talking about college and we're thinking about the long term and like, you know, let's take some high school classes that are going to support you over your career. Get You just need to practice it and get a feel for it. And where do you want to go to school? And those are the long term conversations. And then with Wenny, it's like, okay, did we pack her milk for today? Okay, did yeah. we have her diaper change? It's like, and there's always that balance of like the now and the long term. But like that is so true in tech. You have to be thinking about the long term and get the test on now. It's a jump. And do you ever feel like you're spinning? No, just like, am I in long term or am I in short term? Am I in long term, short term? And it's that balance of back and forth. Because one of the things that I'll see people get stuck on is they think they don't know something, but instead they just need to ask the question with more specificity. Okay, what is the question? What This is really a big component of not feeling techie is that you're like, I don't know the answer. Well, that's not a problem in tech. You don't need to know the answer. You just have to keep asking more and better questions and to get to that answer. And so I think that, you know, that is the piece for me that there are so many areas of a mom. For me, that's a really impactful one that if I understand that I'm thinking about the long-term and the short-term and I can be comfortable in both, I can be successful as a mom, I can be successful as a technologist. And really that is a component for success. And so I can take those mom skills and apply it to tech and come with my full heart and my full empathy. I think that is a social good. I completely agree. I completely agree. And just if you can say that I work every day for the success of my family, you can say I work every day for the success of this company or this client. Love it. That was beautiful. I think we should end on there. That was so cool. I agree. This was really fun. We'll do another one. Thanks, Erin. Thanks. Have a good one. Hey, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to sign up for the UR Techie email list. Imagine being in the tech job of your dreams. Join me to get the strategies, training, and never-ending support to get hired. Sign up at URTechie.com. That's Y-O-U-A-R-E-T-E-C-H-Y.com. I'll see you next time.